in the streets and feeling incomplete. And see who we meet. And suddenly he can feel the beat. He is a free man, running as fast as he can. He is a free man, running as fast as he can. Welcome to Everything Acting Podcast. We come to you from the capital of the world, New York City. I'm Roz Coleman. And I'm Darby Worley. Join us as we inform, inspire, and demystify the actor's journey. Hi, Roz. Hello, Darby. I'm giving you a virtual hug. (laughs) We just kissed our computer screens. Um, So first things first, I saw on Facebook that you got some kind of fancy pants honor from Broadway Salutes. What was that? You know, I, it was so nice. They honor you after 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> but how do they, like, like 25 years since you got your first Broadway gig? Or how my do they, first how do they... Broadway gig. Oh, my God. Okay, cool. And they That's said, awesome. I didn't even know that it was 25 years. Yeah. And it was really profound because they said, oh, we're bringing together the whole Broadway community and I was like, yeah, they're probably going to ask us for some money or something. Yeah. And, you know, I know I'm on a lot of people's lists, whatever. Right. I was, you know, being cynical. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I happened to, you know, have my face on and be dressed up from doing something else. So then I said, and it's, it, it was on 43rd Street. Yeah. Roz lives on 43rd Street, in case you're wondering why that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, come on, they can make it easier. So I walked on over there. And they and um, they give you this little pin, and I got. I mean, like it must be worth one cent. <laughs> but I, I was like, oh, this is so nice. They had a little red carpet. Harvey Firestein was there singing songs, and they had all the honorees sitting there. And then they said, right when I got there, because I was late, they right. said all the twenty-five year honorees stand up. And I said, twenty-five year honorees? That's not me. So I just, so I didn't. So then they said all the 35-year honorees stand up. And I said, well, I know I'm not 35. And then the 50-year honorees stand up. And they had our names going across the lights and huge marquees. They had all, it was, it was so fancy, Darby. Uh. It was so nice. And then I was like, oh my God, am I 25 years? But that would be right, right? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because you were a little babe in the wool. Babe in the wool? Is that the, is that the right? In the, yeah, I was a babe. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I am just like, I can't believe my life went by that quickly. Mm, That's cool. It's profound. It's like, I can remember riding the subway home from that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know that, you know that um, it's a fact that when you're at that age, that's the memories you will remember most um, vividly for your entire life are the memories that happen to you between the age of like 19 and 24 or something. There's some study um, that I read just about a month ago. Um, that talked about that. I'm like, oh, that's why I can remember all those like cheerleading parties and things I was doing in college. Like those memories are very, very vivid for you. So, so the good news is you'll have those for the rest of your life when you're like old and gray in the Alzheimer's home and you can't remember anything. You know, you won't recognize Craig, but you'll remember that Broadway, that Broadway audition. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. So at one point I felt like so proud. I was like, wow. And I'm still out here. I'm still doing it. You know, yeah. I, you know, I still do Broadway. I still, and then all of a sudden I felt like the next day I felt like, 
what a loser to still oh. not give up. And then it was like a whole nother feeling came. Was- <laughs> Leave it to you to find a way to turn that into like a pity fucking party. <laughs> but I must say that the reaction that I got on Facebook was so freaking positive. Oh, that, and even my mom, I felt so uplifted. Yeah. It's profound. Anyway, so that was that. That was great. So how are you? Tell me about you. I'm good. So this weekend, September 27th, this is the day. You know, we've been talking about this Lady Parts Justice, the V to Shining V, these big parties that are happening all over the country. We have over 50 parties registered on ladypartsjustice.org. Um, these parties are not just to, but okay, so there's two levels of party, like in, in I think seven or eight states. It's a big like gay pride-like big rally with fans and comedians and like Sarah Silverman's doing one and like there's fancy people all over the country um and then there's just like house parties but either way what the purpose of these parties is for people in the states to learn who's trying to sneak these (laughs) anti-sex these anti-abortion these you know uh, anti-birth control anti-women's health laws into legislation via things like motorcycle helmet laws like the, the, the the crazy way that these politicians are trying to sneak these laws in are insane so we want people, voters, to learn who's doing what in their states. So no matter where you're located, you can go to ladypartsjustice.org, check out your state and find out what your state is doing right and what your state is doing wrong, who you need to vote for, who you need to vote out. The parties are happening on Saturday, September 27th, and I hope that every one of our listeners will at least go to the website and see what's going on in your state, ladypartsjustice.org. That's awesome. Um, and if you go to the, if you go there, you'll see you'll, you'll hear my voice on all the videos. But you'll see uh, there's a couple of them where you'll see my physical form doing some comedic acting. And there's um, and I think I talked about this on the show already. But the Texas video has me singing as a uterus puppet, <laughs> wrecking ball with a satirical look at Texas's um, especially egregious policies. I cannot wait. I'm going there right after this. This is a, the perfect lift up that I need for today. Cool. So what's um so who do you have? Who are you interviewing today? I am interviewing this man. Oh, the, oh, the face guy. His name is John Sudal. Mm-hmm. He is awesome. This guy is so interesting. He's written a book called Acting Face to Face, and he has done something that I have not seen any other person do. And you know, I study the study of acting. <laughs> Yeah, I study the study of acting and the teaching of acting and all the different methods. And there are so many out there. And I really, truly believe that they all work. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, we've talked about that before. They all work. um, Depending on who you are, there's something that will work for you. You just have to find your thing. You have to find your thing. And this dude has, for me as an actor, there is something. This book really spoke to me. Mm. So my interview, you'll hear me just break down because I am mostly talking as an actor because my acting challenges, he really addressed in this. My voice and my body are very connected in my acting. And he said that stage people are trained. We're tra- actor training is basically for the stage, right? Sure. And we're trained through our voice and body. And then when we adjust to the camera, right, we, we make adjustments and some people can adjust all the way across the board, depending on how they're wired. And some people have trouble, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, and he does it in percentages. He goes, there's 5%, you know, 5% gets all, gets the majority of the work. And then there's 20% that's hit or miss. Mm -hmm. And I am very much in the 20%. 
Yeah. Like I cannot. Um, and many times I, I get, I have lots of opportunities. I'm blessed for that. And there are many times when I get asked for a specific reaction, very specific that I completely understand intellectually mm-hmm. and I can't deliver in the performance. And I've seen the disappointment in the director go like, yeah, when they really want you to get it and you know, you're not getting it and you know, you're not getting it, yeah. but you understand it. Yeah. And I can do it in my body, but I can't do it in my face. Mm-hmm. And there is this, and he brought about, and I noticed also that I felt a lot of shame around it. Mm. And, um, because it's very taboo to talk about your face in uh, traditional actor training. Mm. It's, it's, there are certain things, you know, that we've really been, our hands have really been scolded on, right? We've really been told. And um, our attention is supposed to be on the other actor, you know, not on yeah. ourselves, yeah. you know? And that is like dogma. And yet we train our bodies and, and we train our instruments. So we have mastery over that, but we never, but some of us aren't, don't naturally have mastery over our face Mm -hmm. so that you can be having a reaction and people can't read it. Mm -hmm. And so you, you feel it, you're experiencing it. And if I can move, I can do it in my movement and you can hear it in my voice, but you might not see it on my face. Right. Right. Especially if it's more subtle. Yeah. If it's a more degree, I can do, I'm very good at like dropping in on a big reaction, mm-hmm. but on a, on a much more subtle, on a subtle, like dropping it back and all that kind of stuff and all the nuances, unless I'm just acting a very long scene, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, it's, it's very, it, but this spoke to me, needless to say. Did he so, talk about, let me, let me ask you this, because mm-hmm. this is the, this is the struggle that I have with that, with what you're talking about. I'm usually pretty good until it comes time from my shot, like right on my face, right? Like the close up right on my face. And then I find, I find that I get very, very tense in my jaw and it makes it, and when, if you're, if your actual facial muscles are tensing up it's very hard to stay in that moment and react in any way that, that is, that looks like anything except nerves or stress. Did he talk about that at all or how to? Yes. Well, actually that's the whole thing is that this is a whole set of musculatures and he studied it like as how many muscles there are. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's my jaw. It's my jaw right here. Like this part that right on the, um, the, the edge, what do you call this? Your jaw bone, that, that big thick muscle there, like your chewing, your chewing gum muscle. The one that you, that really, like, when you're chewing gum, yeah. that one for me gets like a rock when I'm, when it's my turn for a close-up. So what he talks about is that, like, what is your um, resting face? Mm-hmm. And what is the mask face that you usually go to when you're, when you're, um, when you're like walking down the street, but you're not, it's, it's like your mask. So I, there's a difference. There's a big difference between your resting face and the face that you think is your resting face when you're looking in a mirror. Because you're, if you get caught in a resting face by a camera, like a, like say you're, it's a photo and you're in the background and you weren't, you didn't know you're being photographed. I always think, my God, I look so bitchy. I look so tired. But then when I look in the mirror, I never see that face because I always kind of pull my eyebrows up. I kind of like open my eyes a little bit. That's right? your default. He calls that okay. That's what he calls it. Your default face. Okay. So that's the face <laughs> you go to when you know you're on. Yes. Or whatever. Like, yeah. you know, when you're just aware, whatever, that's your default face. Mm-hmm. And then he ta- and then you actually practice, 
practice mastery over reactions mm-hmm. so that you start to, and, and we did it. We did, he did some exercises with me where you do outside inside work mm-hmm. where you say like, where he's like, wrinkle your brow, try, put your teeth together, grind them, put your lips over it, you know? And he gives he gave me like a set of stuff. And, um, and then he said, hold that face for a minute, just kind of like you do with a Michael Chekhov. And mm-hmm. then you start to feel angry. Mm. you know and then he said okay well, now let the jaw go and then you feel less you know and it's just like and it's just like that but so there is a set of language with our faith right and um we as the human animal if you will we have been reading each other's faces for a thousand years mm-hmm. so when we act and we have these weird things that we do when we act that aren't as true because of our tension or whatever, or like me with going, like I'll either go dead in an attempt to not do too much or I might push. It's a lot of things I do, but I noticed that my physical reaction in life is different than my face in acting, Mm -hmm. especially like crying, like crying in acting comes out my nose, crying in life (laughs) um, starts out my eyes. Isn't that interesting? I know. And I was like, why can't it start in my eyes? And then, but it doesn't, it starts in my nose and then my eyes. That's so weird. Okay. I can't wait to hear this interview. Let's, um, let's get to it. Shall we? Okay. Ross will be right back in with John Sidal. Hello everyone. It's Roz here. Just a quick heads up to let you know that the recording that you're going to hear with John Sudal actually is two interviews that I did with him because it was my bad. The first interview, I was so excited about talking to him. I had just read his book and I jumped right into the conversation without having him properly introduce what he does and how he does it. So I had him come back a second time to give you a real overview of what he does. So you're going to hear two interviews put together. I hope you get a double dose of John Sudal and that you appreciate him as much as I do. Enjoy. Thanks, everybody. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. Um, in L.A., um, where I do most of my work, primarily between the agents, managers, and actors, I'm kind of considered like the go-to guy for the emotional specialist. Anything dealing with emotions. That means the creating or revealing of emotions. And what I specifically do is I teach actors how to become better on-camera storytellers. And I do this by giving them an, or uh, supplying the tools and for them to know how to create and reveal not only what but how their face is communicating from the most subtle to the extreme. And when you have that control over those intimate thoughts and most subtle to extreme, what you actually do is you allow the viewer to begin to read your mind. Without a word being said, the viewer becomes the mind reader. And so sometimes not saying anything, the viewer will supply information. But we don't always want that. Sometimes we want them to get our story. So I am the actor's go-to emotional specialist. That's what I do. So although I do still teach, um, uh, I'm more of an audition coach than I am actual teaching acting anymore. I've done that for years. So that's uh, primarily uh, when you go and come to me for an audition, I'm going to coach you. I'm going to coach you on the subtleties of what you face those moments. Because what's a moment other than a reveal of a thought, a 
feeling, emotion, something that's kind of moving to your face and we see it, or possibly might be in your body or in your voice. But I look for those moments and I teach you how to hone them in. Cool. Tell us about your book and um, your inspiration for the book and um, introduce us to it. Well, you know, what I, what I noticed was this over the years, and we've talked about how, um, how I lost a job, and we've talked about my quest to find, uh, well, why was it that certain actors were better at communicating uh, the subtleties of emotion, thought, and feeling than others? Um, what I really have discovered is that when it comes to the creating and revealing of emotion, that the playing field is not leveled. There's some people actually who were born and raised to do this better. But you can learn, you can level the playing field if you begin to understand the language that your face speaks. And that's what's really cool. Uh, and on stage, you don't really need it. Like, for example, if you're, we're sitting across from each other, right? And you said something, and all of a sudden, did you see a change that just happened? You think you're going to see it on stage? No. All of a sudden, you, right? Right there. Now, that is on-camera acting. That's the communication. Something had got my attention. Now, for some people, they do it all the time. Mm -hmm. that, in fact, it gets in their way because they're doing it when they don't really want to do it. So if you don't know how your face is communicating already, you don't know that you're distorting the very thing that you're trying to create. So emotions in our, um, in our daily life, you know, as I, I, I said before, that when an emotion is provoked, with or without our consent, these changes in the face, changes in the body are, uh, begin to occur. The most you can do is try to manage it. I'm trying not to get angry at you right now. I'm, I'm, trying, not, I'm trying to hold back the fear. Or we distort them. And in my book, I talk about acting distortions. So you're trying to create something. So why doesn't it come on your face, appear on your face the way you intend? There's actually three reasons that I've come uh, up with that um, may be the reason why what you feel and what you reveal is different. Um, and I want to say this now. If there is a difference between what you feel and what your face is revealing, getting a callback, booking the job becomes very, very difficult. And the further you are away from that center line, becomes virtually impossible. It's like you're speaking one language and they're speaking another. So there's three reasons why um, what you create may not appear on your face the way you tend. And one is your tools. Now, uh, if you don't have the tool to really connect inwardly and outwardly to a stimuli that's going to provoke a desire emotion, well, it's a moot point. People tend to think emotionally all the time. Don't that's but we have so much interference that it's easy for that to uh, that interference to block, and you you're thinking about thinking about it. Like for example, try to think about something really horrific. You go, oh no, I'm not doing that. I don't want to think about something horrific. But you got to think about it because you got to prepare. But I don't really want to. Or I'm tired. Or I've already had a bad day and I'm not thinking about. It. So you're hot. You're cold. Maybe it will work. Maybe it won't work. So we have, need need tools that will consistently connect us to the trigger that we intend to get the desired response we want. The second one might be just your triggers, just to begin with. Now we talked about emotions are reactions to things that we deem to be important to our well-being, either in a positive or a negative way. The key word, important, and also important now. 
Not important 10 years ago. Brain doesn't work that way. You can get emotional by recalling something you were emotional about, but then you got all those years of interference. And all of a sudden, you know what? I really wasn't angry. I was hurt. I really wasn't hurt. I was really ticked off. So all of a sudden, you got something else. So if your trigger isn't hot enough, then you're not going to change. Your face will stay the same. The third way is the distortions. And now the distortions, I define distortion here as anything uh, that interferes with uh, the creating or revealing what you intend. Anything. Now, in my book, I go over seven of them. One is how you're wired. Either uh, Some people are wired to be an internalizer, meaning they feel more than they reveal. Externalizers show more than uh, they actually feel. And then there's a third category, believe it or not. That's the generalizers. Generalizers tend to feel appropriately to what, uh, reveal appropriately to what they're feeling. Like, isn't it kind of interesting that there's only a very small percentage of people who are generalizers. And there's only a very small percentage of the actors who get the majority of on-camera acting work. Interesting fact. Um, the second uh, uh, distortion that might come into play will be where you were raised. Uh, your cultural personal display rules, your own psychology is no distortion. You've had a um, traumatic experience or you were embarrassed uh, when you did a certain thing. Well, now you're not going to go there anymore. And when you think about it, it interferes with your interpretation and your execution. Uh, another distortion uh, would be, um, again, well, the triggers that you're using now distort. But here's one that I think is really interesting, how you listen. Some people listen inferentially, some people listen literally. The inferential people are people who are hearing and it's like kind of a, they hear with an uh, intention to act on something. You know, if I say, uh, is it cold in here? And you go, oh, you want me to turn, turn the temperature down or up, whatever? Go, no, no, I just want to know if you thought it was cold. Um, but I saw in a casting session one time, the director asked this girl uh, to do something three times. He liked this girl. Three times he asked her, you know, and three times she did not do what he asked. And she walked out of the room and he looked at me and he went, did she not hear me? And I'm thinking, yeah, she heard you, but not the way you intended. She was listening inferentially. Do something like this. Now, if you hear differently than what is being communicated, then odds are what you're communicating is going to be not. And we're thinking we're all speaking the same language. And we talked about the face. That's, to me, that could be the biggest distortion. Because if there's already emotion on your face to begin with, it's going to color in everything else. There's a little bit of sadness always in your face. So even when you get angry, there's going to be a little sadness in there. Happy, bittersweet. You, you are going to say something on that. Oh, well, because it just, it just rang a bell for me. Because when I was about that physical response that you have. Yeah. Um, I think it was my second year in school, I was playing in the Three Little Pigs. Uh -huh. And when I was a kid, you know, back in the day, you used okay. to get spankings, right? Mm -hmm. So I got my share of spankings. Mm -hmm. And in the Three Little Pigs, we had a little thing like where they had to hit me on the head. Mm -hmm. And I would always cry, I would always get sad. Really? And I would always have that reaction. Mm -hmm. And I could never, like, it was, like, wired like that. It just, just triggered you. It just it. triggered me. And yeah. I just really, and now I'm just seeing that. That just dawned on me that how, 
just like the wiring is so strong that you can't, like I wasn't aware until this very it moment. Distorts. It distorts. Yeah, it distorted. I was trying to be happy, but instead of being happy, maybe the best was bittersweet. Yeah. You had the happy and the sad in there. <laughs> or it wasn't really a genuine smile, which is quite possible. It's just, I put the smile on, but I'm really not feeling happy because I'm really trying to cover the sadness I'm really feeling. And, uh, you know, people on your face, when we talked about that static and static being that that's, that's the face that nature gave you, you know, gave you, it's a face that time has given you in default. This is great stuff because this is the stuff where the headshots come in. Absolutely. When I work with actors, you know, from a standpoint of headshots and, um, the two, um, components that I really look at very specifically is one is who you are. That's who you are when you're on your game without any duress. That's, that is a quality that you easily aspire to. And you are, uh, every morning you wake up majority of the time, you're a playful, fun person. That, that's you. You're playfully fun. Well, we know that right there is going to be a little bit in the, well, obviously the happy family of emotion, but maybe you're a little playfully sarcastic. And so now that blends with happy and contempt. Mm -hmm. you know? So that little bit of sarcasm comes up because that's kind of, contempt is an emotion that's more cocky, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and we kind of like to feel a little of that cocky. So people who are, more playfully, uh, and you look at anybody uh, on TV now who is that um, playful and sarcastic, and you will see that little clamping mm -hmm, right on the side, and they or they'll bring the brow up, a knowing kind of look. Mm -hmm. That's my dumb husband, but I love him. Mm -hmm, you know, so it's a little bit of judgment that's on there. Uh, so that's quality, though. It's an essence. What what about that um, that warm person? You see that slight, little bit of the sadness that's in it with the smile. And that's the people you can sit, you talk to them, they go, oh, yeah. And they're, they're kind of the person that you want to go to when you have a problem. You don't want them to fix it because you want to fix, that's what you want to get somebody, I'll take care of it. Not, oh. Yeah, you <laughs> if your doctor's going, oh, it's going to be okay. You're going, wow, give me somebody who, who's like really confident. Yes. I remember my son needed, um, had a neurological problem. We went for the asshole mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because we felt confident yeah yeah, yeah. and most people <laughs> will they'll they'll feel more confident with somebody who's going to be a leader because that emotion is to remove obstacles and we're talking about anger right mm -hmm. now but you think about it look at your leading men you look at any cops lawyers anybody's very determined focused yes you're going to see in the anger family mm -hmm. you're going to see the victim you're going to see um, people who are, are friends of the victim know somebody who's vulnerable you're going to see worried you're going to see sad, helpless, worried, harm, all that. Those are characters. Those are qualities. You know, and most of the time, the rhythm which you speak is going to be in the same rhythm. So when I bring to light to the actor what their face is saying and the history that's attached to it, going, that's who you are. And going, yes, that's me. Your face is your brand. It's, a, it's your billboard. The more you know about it, the more you can use it in, to your advantage and sell your product. But if you got a, a look on your face as, you know, the whole time, going, don't expect to be playing a leading man. Don't expect to be playing the bright guy because you look a, 
a little bit lost um, at uh, what's on your face. So that who you are, that essence, that becomes now becomes what's on your face is emotional. Connect to that. Now, where you fit in is the second part. And that's just type. That's an age range. You're blue collar, white collar, you're green. Uh, you are um, possibly you have an age range from 21 to 25. These are these are kind of no brainers, you know. But I, I would suggest people looking for their headshot for talking about this one second that we have different qualities that we can bring in, but it's that dominant one, the static face is going to interfere with them all. There's going to be always a little bit of that going on, but you have different qualities that you bring in depending on who you're with. You add in other things, like you're different when you're in a romantic mood, you know, with your, uh, your significant other. Then you become different when you all of a sudden you're with your parents and you become the little child, or maybe you had to learn to be the adult. Different quality. Now, if you can define how that's different than when you are with on your game versus when you're in that romantic, these are all qualities and are all characters you can play. If quality, if character can be defined as what you do, mm -hmm. and quality can be defined as not just what you do but the way you do something, then your qualities are your characters. That's who you are. That's finding yourself in this world of acting. And how you defined it. So um, there was one other thing that we want to discuss, I think, and how do we get in? How how do we learn this process of the language of the face? Yeah, if you if you need to gain more skills, more tools, what do right. we do? Well, as I said, the first step of leveling the playing field is um, what I call getting into emotional alignment. In emotional alignment, when we're out of alignment, it means that what we're feeling is significantly different than what our face is revealing. And I, I consider that to be out of alignment. So there, there's three steps into learning the, uh, um, to get into emotional alignment and, and learn to speak the language of the face. The first one is we have to define how you personally reveal emotion. And I take people through an emotional, I call it an emotional screen test. I have them create emotions. You do it. I don't care how you're going to do it. Just the whole thing is, I feel. Now, as you feel, you're going to let me know, and I take a, a, a few minutes of tape on that. I identify. I isolate. You said you were ready. You said you were feeling. Now the rest should be on your face. Uh, because I have you do it in a very specific way. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. So we go through that. I also take your static face here. So I need to know how you reveal emotion to find out, is it your tools? Do I find out, is it what you were using to get emotional? Or do you have one of these distortions? Because if you have a distortion, it may not be all the emotions. Maybe you have a um, something is getting in the way of you creating joy. Something's getting in the way of you creating anger. But even if you have a problem getting to anger, I can get you back into alignment if you're willing to work on it. It's not psychological. I'm not going to get into your brain. I'm just going to connect you to the right thought and the right muscle groups. And it'll bring you right back. For a while, you may you know, find tears, but ultimately you will do it because it changes. Your thought changes the muscle groups. So if you can keep the right thought, the right muscle groups, you'll stay in the right emotion. It'll want to suck you in. So the first step, how you personally reveal emotion. Then the second step is now you need to understand emotions. So I give you a very in-depth look at um, uh, 
what they are, what triggers them, the universal triggers, and the, uh, the family within each emotion, and also the variations of theme for each one. Uh, because for some people, different things make them angry. Not everybody gets angry by the same thing or to that same intensity. So, but there's just variations of the theme. Um, I teach about the sensations, what they feel like, and how to recreate those sensations. And then the impulses. You know you're there because you want to take an action. And, and I, and I uh, reveal to you what those actions are. The second, the third step, I'm sorry, is now I'm going to teach you the muscle groups. And this will connect you to the emotion with the trigger. And as we work, trust will come in where you when you create it and somebody else gets it. To the degree that you intend, not just with me, but me, somebody else, somebody over there. And at that, when you know that, again, I do that, I know you got it. I know the camera got it. I don't have to even think about it. I felt the tension growing in my eye right there, and I can, I can grow more. If I want to, if, it was, if, if there was a, a reason for that to happen, but that's trust. Trust is when you, get, you know you do something, you're going to get the desired response. So if we, once we have all three of them, then we be, begin to build this alignment. And now you got to practice it. It goes on from there because I begin the second part of nailing the reaction is when I teach the individual muscle groups and the meaning because they all have different meaning, which is really, really cool. So most of my actors who are booking know how to translate the information because they know about emotions. And once they bring it down to an emotional place, they know what the reaction is. Now they have to deal with the correct timing, intensity, and there's so much more about all nonverbal communication. It's like, I'll be talking all night. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is so exciting. I just feel like you have all these secret weapons yet mm -hmm. to be revealed. So please check out um, John Sudal. And how can we follow you? Uh, www.languageoftheface.com, facebook.com, backslash language of the face. Language of the Face, John Sudol. Type it in. I'm everywhere. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Mm. The purpose of the podcast is to inform, inspire, and demystify the actor's journey. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have some serious demystification to come. Um, but first, we always like to start at the beginning. How did you become interested in acting? And what's your, give us the Reader's Digest Reader's version, Digest version. Of, of your yes, story. We could be here a long time. <laughs> I've been around for a while. Okay. Um, actually, uh, I'm from uh, New Jersey. Oh. I was, uh, I was actually born and raised, I was born in Texas. Then my, by the time I was two, I moved to Jersey. Um, I started out uh, in this business um, as a musician. That was my first love, music, and everything I do now always has that kind of rhythm, that feel to it. So I incorporated everything because that is my first love. Um, and so I ended up, um, the winters got too cold here. I was playing uh, the circuit up in the Catskills and all that. And then Did one you day, play like a horn? No, no, I played, uh, I played guitar, I played bass. Okay. I actually played, I played flute, I played, played piano, I was a singer, songwriter, and so I did. I'm impressed. Yeah, and then... 
Um, you know, I'm going to give a, a shout out right here about my mm -hmm. daughter because my daughter carried on the music side. Uh, she has a um, she had a band called A Fine Frenzy, mm -hmm. and um, she's doing uh, her music's doing great. She's got a great fan base, um, so she carried on. She's a singer, songwriter, she plays piano. And uh, what's her name? Let's give her a proper shout out. It's Allison Sudol, and the group was uh, her band. She's also AKA A Fine Frenzy. And that, that is probably of all the things I've done with that is Aww. my pride. You know? So um, so she went on to play. She also um, is, uh, then she didn't, didn't want to get into acting. Um, although she was born and raised into it. But now she's turned to acting. She's got a series regular on a USA uh, a series called Dig. She was in Tel Aviv shooting there. She's oh, got two awesome. episodes on Transparent. Yesterday I was coaching her on a movie for, uh, and she was up for Christian Bale. So she's doing what? great. Yeah. Well, she's got her, well, she has a real secret weapon and her father is a coach, but we'll get to that. We're teasing that. Yeah. Although I have to say, you know, full mm -hmm. disclosure, uh, I very rarely coach her. I have to do it in a certain way because, you know, her father. She goes, this is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, there's a lot of sex in showbiz. Exactly. The scene we were doing yesterday, going, okay, this is awkward. Okay, I'm, I'm listening. Don't worry about it. Just go. So, anyway, <laughs> quickly, uh, I, I, uh, when I couldn't move my fingers anymore because of the East Coast winter, I decided, uh -huh. let's go out to acting. Uh, let's go out to West, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always had in the back of my mind, and about being an actor, but growing up where I did, you know, the idea of being an actor uh, was just like silly. Go, I can't even see what you would do. But you have to keep in mind, at that time, my hair was almost down to my waist. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you're kidding. Yeah. You were like a hippie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had long hair, and then uh, so I went out. Wait, that's too old for you. <laughs> that had to be the 70s. Yeah. Late 70s. Late 70s, because you're not that old. Yeah. So you were like a hippie, but like. Oh, a late hippie. A late hippie, yes. <laughs> uh, I, 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 That's I, even I, worse. I, I was a poser. <laughs> That's worse. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I was a, a poser hippie. Uh, actually, what, come, what goes around comes around. Uh, so I came back to, uh, I came out, out west. Okay. And I um, found an acting coach, and his name was Grant Williams. And for uh, those people who are like sci-fi movies, he was the incredible shrinking man. Okay. Mm -hmm. And brilliant teacher, not necessarily a brilliant actor, but a brilliant teacher. Mm -hmm. He was really good, uh, knew his stuff. And so I went and I audited a class. Mm -hmm. uh, after that class, I decided this is what I want to do. So I had all my equipment, I sold everything except my acoustic guitar, and ultimately, I once uh, I saw the actors on stage, that was it, and I became an actor. Wow, that's balls of steel. It was, it was, it was <laughs> you know, it, it's just one of those things where you go, this feels right. And I think what felt right was when I was sitting in the theater. There was something, I played music. I had this contact with the audience, and that was great, that moved me. But there was a different energy that I, I experienced for the very first time. That I go, why am I so excited? You know, and I just didn't get, just watching these actors do a scene. I was incredibly excited. And I look at that with young actors today. When I talk to one who has that same passion, it, it rekindles it in me. So you started as a stage actor. I started as, I was trained for, well, as we'll find out, everybody's trained for the stage. Yes, we are. So uh, was I. <laughs> and so I started as a, uh, a stage actor. 
Uh, I all, um, with, after studying for about 11 months, I did a play, and um, a woman named Tina Sinatra saw the play. Mm -hmm. Frank Starr, right? Oh. And she really apparently liked me, but she was, she was a manager, but she wasn't taking anybody else on right now. So she says, uh, I have a friend, uh, her name is Joyce Selznick. Now, for those of you who are not in the West Coast and weren't out here at that particular time, Joyce Selznick, David O. Selznick, Gone with the Wind, she was one of the biggest managers around, period. And I walked into her office, I uh, got an interview, and she just stared at me. She's just staring the whole time, and, uh, and then she's talking, my acting coach was with me different time, and she's talking to him, and she's still staring at me, and... Um, She's about to say thank you, um, you know, for the meeting. And then I asked her, I go, why don't you come see the play? And just put her on the spot. I don't know how those words popped out of my mouth. Why don't you come see the play? So she, you know, came and after she saw the play, she came backstage. And that was John, baby, sweetheart, love. Oh, it's not like that. I said, wow, that's really pretty strange. But uh, next office, I was signing uh, papers. I had the biggest manager basically in the country. Uh, two days later, as ICM, wow. and I one of the biggest agents in town. So I started at the top and worked my way down, and then worked my way up, and then I worked <laughs> my way down, and I worked my way up. <laughs> it was one heck of a journey, but believe it or not, after about um, probably about two years of acting, I wanted to, I wanted more. I started directing, mm -hmm. but nobody would let me direct anywhere. So I was now I'm, I'm only. 22, 23 years old. Whoa. I'm on a drink. I saw more than just this one color. I saw the whole picture and I wanted part of it. So nobody would hire me as a director, take me on. So I built my own theater. And uh, I, I, I have to say, I had known nothing about carpentry either, but I built a theater. And so this, I love these kind of artists. Oh, like this kind of, this resonates with me because there are some people who are just they just have more talents and more interests mm -hmm. and they manifest them and they develop them despite what the world says which the world wants to say declare what you are uh -huh. and stay in your box yeah. and um and just that you played many instruments and that you went on and manifested that and that you did it based on your passion and not properly mm -hmm. trained and anointed but you did it anyway yeah, this, yeah that's why you've come up with this acting method that is new Mm -hmm. It's new to me, and it should be new to everybody. It's really seriously. New. Um, but I've been I've been a casting director. I've worked in casting. Mm -hmm. um, I have my own company in Seattle. I have my company in uh, in LA. I, I worked. Um, uh, we did talent searches for ABC. Found a lot of people on that. I, I've been artistic director of two different theaters. It's the innovation that the, that you can think with. Mm -hmm. It's like all parts of your brain are firing. Can I, can I share something on that side? I think sure. it's important. Everything I did was not because uh, I had a passion in a way that other people do. I had a whole lot of deficits, a whole lot of learning disabilities, oh. a whole lot of uh, cognitive, let's say, um, deficits. So I learned to use them to my advantage. I just, I, 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 it, it, what it did is force me to think in a different way. I don't think like most people do. And there's a lot of people who don't. But 
society is trying to put everybody to be normal, but normal is average. Yeah. Do you want really want to be normal? Absolutely not. Absolutely. I'm going to get a yes on that one. Uh, absolutely <laughs> not. I, there's nothing, there ain't nothing normal about me, honey. No, so why are we starting to be normal when that's only average? So, mm -hmm. and I, I want to say that because there are a lot of people who don't think the same way as everybody else and they get criticized. They, yeah. they get put into special um, programs. Right. And go, man, these are the most beautiful minds in the world. You know, we got to cherish that. Don't be thinking like everybody else. Step outside of that box you were saying. That's why we have a Steve Jobs. And yeah. that's why we have you. <laughs> so you wanted to come on this podcast or somebody, I got a strange email mm -hmm. after I already got this introduction through Catherine. I got a strange email saying, um, John has a book. He has a, a workshop coming out. What did you want to share with our audience um, about your about your book, language of the 